0: Welcome to the Equipped Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of business and entrepreneurship. Each episode, we will bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs and business owners who are making waves in the marketplace. From sales strategies to marketing innovations, leadership insights, and effective lead generation, this is your go-to source for staying ahead in the business game. Now let's get equipped for success and get to today's episode.
1: All right, well, we're live Keith, how you doing? I'm
2: doing great, Brian. Thanks for inviting me on.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, well I, I, we, we were having a really good conversation uh, and then realized you know hey we, we need, actually need to go live because we're, we're talking like interesting business stuff which is what we're here to do. Um, But before we get into that, um, why don't you tell people who you are and kind of what what you do? So
2: um, I'm Keith Sims. I'm the president and owner of Integrity Resource Management. So I I worked in the staffing industry, just direct placement staffing when I first, uh, probably about a year after I got out of college, got into that. Worked at a major firm uh, for about 10 years and left because I saw there was a gap. And the Hmm. gap in the business model was being able to serve the client and the consultant, uh, for their entire career. So Hmm. most people, at least in the industry at the time thought about relationships as corporate relationships. In fact, my boss would always ask me, why, why aren't you still doing business with this company? And I would point out to him that I wasn't doing business with that company, but I was doing business with the person. Hmm. And so at the end of the day, um, our business model is based on personal relationships, so the personal relationship with the people that do the work uh, and the personal relationships with the people who are responsible for getting that work done, managers, VPs, directors, uh, CIOs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we work with them throughout their career, wherever they end up. And we find that those, the tight personal relationships and being in a position to figure out any way we can to solve a problem for that customer uh, deepens our relationships and mm-hmm. we have a lot more fun. I mean, just frankly, we have a lot more yeah. fun working with people that we like.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And and um, we, well, we were talking before just about the economy, and um, I, I think what what was interesting, what we were starting to get into, is you know, uh, I'd kind of said you know, COVID, everything shut down, and you knew yeah. we're not going to be in person. You know, we got to go online. We got to do this. We got to do that. And now we're, we're in a economy where things are bad, but they're also good. People are holding back, but they're also spending money. It, it, it's like there's you listen to the news and everything's great or everything's horrible or it's going to be horrible or it's going to be fun. like it's just so much uncertainty. Right. And uh, and you, you were just you started to make a good point about there, there's going to be winners and losers. Right.
2: Yeah, well, and so a couple of things that we talk about internally mm-hmm. right now is, is every market has kind of its uh, its focused. And and we like to t- talk about this market as a toothbrush market, right? You could buy an electric toothbrush. You could pay 70 or $100 for an electric toothbrush and it'll do mm-hmm. the job. And in fact, it's probably better than a regular toothbrush. But if I buy a toothbrush for $2, effectively, it's going to do the same job. A little bit more effort, but not that much more effort. So the reality is, In this market, our clients are looking for a couple of things. They're looking for how can I effectively solve a problem Mm -hmm. and how can I prove that I at least attempted to solve the problem? So there's two key factors. They either want to actually solve the problem or at least they want to show that they tried to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And if I come to them with the Cadillac solution, the most expensive product offering in this market, then I'm not really paying attention to what they need. Yeah. So we're looking for ways to come to the client with uh, alternatives, cost, ca- cost savings analysis. And that doesn't mean there isn't money to be made. Um, it's just like, um, you know, uh, we've got a client in the distilled spirits industry. Well, if the economy is good, people drink more. <laughs> and if the economy is bad, people drink more. They just, they just drink different stuff right? You're not buying a $120 bottle of bourbon when the economy's bad. You're buying three $30 bottles of bourbon. still a cost savings, still saving 30 bucks, right? So at the end of the day, um, we're looking for those kind of uh, approaches and alternatives and being in a position to make a a strategic offering to our customer that solves a problem they're currently having, which is how do they cut their costs and deliver the same kind Mm -hmm. of value to their organization?
1: Are, are you noticing as you and your team kind of talk to prospects that cost is a factor more than it was, say, a year ago or two years ago?
2: I think cost is always a factor in any time. We, always. We, yeah, we, it's it's always a factor. I think it's more of a factor. And uh, gotcha. I, I, I think. Customers need to look at their cost-benefit analysis, and then they're in a position more today where they have to justify that cost-benefit analysis to more people, typically higher up the food chain.
0: Mm-hmm. I've got,
2: um, I've seen a lot of our clients have revisions in their signing authority. So whereas typically uh, a uh. VP at a major organization can sign a contract at 100 grand, that's their call to make. Now that might have even been revised down to 25 or 30 thousand uh, dollars.
1: Is that is that companies kind of hedging their their bets on this. And I asked just because the, you you hear about record profits, you know, up this up that, and then that same company lays off 20% of their workforce. Yeah. Um, That's,
2: that's a conversation we're having a lot lately. mm -hmm. Um, You know, it, I think back to the, to the mortgage industry, if you want to look to something anybody can kind of can get their head around, anybody's been mm. alive since the early 2000s, you know in 2008, 2009 the mortgage industry started collapsing and, and mm. they're looking at their organizations. Many of our clients in the mortgage industry had just been making so much money for so long that they never really looked at their operations. Um, and even back in mm. 2009, we ended up bringing a guy into a mortgage company who came from automotive. Because the client wanted somebody who could cut cost, knew how to cut costs, trim, trim the fat. And the reality is that nobody we talked to in the mortgage industry had ever done that. We brought mm. him a guy out of automotive and he'd been doing that for 30 years. He didn't know anything yeah. about mortgage, but he knew how to cut costs. He came in and immediately they had six different application platforms, not applications, platforms. <laughs> And he was able to quickly eliminate four of them, get them down to two core platforms, saving them probably darn near 30% of their IT operational costs in under six months. So the reality is, I think that a lot of the organizations that are making big cuts, the big name ones, Microsoft, Disney, Twitter, uh, Google, a lot of these organizations have Mm -hmm. been running um, and they've had very high profits, very little reason to look closely at what they're doing and how they're spending money, and now mm-hmm. they're cutting too hard on purpose so they are they can come back and say, yeah, that hurt, right? They want to mm-hmm. cut past the pain so they can come in and say, ooh, that does hurt. We need to hire those people back. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to find another way to solve that problem rather than incremental cutting because there's a fight every time you want to go back and cut
1: people. Yeah, yeah, just rip the Band-Aid off. And it, the amazing gotcha. thing is, the, you say like Twitter or uh, Facebook or whoever the 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 people are there. If you can let twenty percent of your workforce go and things still run, man, you had some you know just incredible overhead. That yes. that was not necessarily sorry.
2: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um,
1: yeah. Well, uh, so the the main topic we're and this this kind of flows into uh, what we wanted to talk about was community. And uh, first, I think we could probably talk on this for a while. Just community within your team and your staff, and you touched on this a little, but the, you know, the, there there are people that are are at these places that have been let go. I, I think we're at two hundred thousand tech workers or something like that at, at the major companies, and people come and go. And I think uh, having that community. Is, is huge just so that again, you're not trying to resell the new person at this company, but you're kind of following those people instead and, and having more than just a sales connection to them and an actual, you know, connection, right?
2: Uh, we approach our relationships with consultants and our, our clients from the standpoint of almost like being their CPA or their attorney, or maybe their mm-hmm. family physician. Uh, we're encouraging them to, you know, look at their career, think, Um, think in detail about where they're going, uh, Hmm. what their ultimate vision is, and then, you know, how to lay down a project. Um, Everybody that we deal with are delivering projects, sometimes large scale projects, $50, $100 million global engagements, but they don't ever look at their own career from that Hmm. standpoint. They don't ever sit down and say, okay, if I'm a director of applications today and I want to be a CIO, what skills do I have to develop to get there? So we're engaging with them on that. And then we're also engaging with our clients on how to build their team. So if you've got to build a team to be able to support a a company that's going to be 3 billion, you're a billion today, you're going to be 3 billion in two to three years through acquisitions. What kind of people do you need in place to run that? How are you going to benchmark Mm -hmm. what you have? And then build a plan to go from point A to point B. And the reality is you're going to need more people to support different roles. You're going to need more management structure in place than you currently have. And you're going to, in many cases, need different people than you have right now. The, the same people that they have on staff that have been with the company for 15 or 20 years. Um, you, know, you can't just necessarily promote those people into leadership and management positions because they have mm-hmm. tenure. They don't have the experience to lead the kind of company that you're going to be. And it would take them a long time to, to gain those experiences, probably longer than it's going to take for you to grow yeah. through acquisition.
1: Yeah, that that uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday that has a business, and there, they're, there's this idea. You know, you 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 go up, and then you hit a plateau. You go up, you hit a plateau, and they're at one of those plateaus. And he, he's, you know, they're at the. I'm doing wall. the opposite.
2: I'm trying to do that from a weight loss perspective. So I'm
1: like lose a little <laughs> bit of
2: weight, plateau, lose yeah. a little bit of weight.
1: You, you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> um, but yeah, he. I mean. The this this guy's a friend, and so there was a lot of openness to what I was I was saying. But they basically didn't have a structure, and it was just kind of him and and his twelve reports, and that that was the structure, right? And they're just at a point where they need to start building out that team, and exactly what you're saying. Like his nature was, okay, I've got now I've got these five positions, right? Um, I'm going to take this person that I have on the team, put them here, this person that I have on the team. And we just talked about, you know, that's great. And you want to be able to do that because that is investing in your team, but you're also putting people that don't have the capacity th- to do that. So they're actually going to lean on you pretty heavily. And so your growth is going to be slower. Your plateau is going to continue really. How, how do you have, that, that seems like the conversation you were, ha- you're, you're talking about having, yeah. how do you have that with a client? You know is that is that? Uh, not, the, not your place, right?
2: No, I mean we we try to get in to have those conversations. I mean, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, um, our client's ultimate success has to do specifically with the people that they have surrounding them and making sure people are in the right spots. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite stories recently is the guys at Shopify. So Shopify has been a tremendous growth success story, uh, and one of the key reasons that I would say for their success is that they interview with each other every year for their job. And hmm. they have to, so every time they move up and they're, they're interviewing with each other and they're interviewing at the end of the year with each other, hey, am I doing a good job? Am I capable of this work,
0: right? Hmm. Do I have
2: the skills? What skills am I lacking to be able to perform this position? What skills do I need to develop? Am I, as one of the founders, still the right person for this job? Or would the company hmm. be better off if I wasn't in this job? If we hired somebody who had more experience to do this and I went on to do something else, Um, structurally, I had to have that same conversation with myself, uh, late last year, I Mm. looked in the mirror and I said, I'm good at this operations stuff, but it's not my passion.
1: Mm. I am
2: not passionate about operations and documentation. I'm passionate about growth, acceleration. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about velocity and the future of a, of the business and, and the mindset that we offer to our customers, but I'm not passionate about the details. I'm good at it but because i forced mm-hmm. myself to be and, and, and if you're good at something because you forced yourself to be good at it, that doesn't mean you're passionate about it. You're not going to continue to add value as the company grows. Um, and I went out and hired an operations manager, and luckily a guy that I've known for 20 years in our industry, uh, I was able to convince him to come over and and, uh, and, and work for me, uh, work with me, really, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of t- start taking the company to the next level.
1: Nice. <laughs> And uh, just this conversation is fresh on my mind. And so I'm just thinking about it. But as you're talking through, I mean, okay, for you, it's easy to, for you to say, hey, I'm not good at this because it's your company. You, you, know, you just move up, right? Yeah. Um, you move into like a more visionary type role. Um, as as we're talking through these responsibilities or the the roles that this company needed, you see... The terror in a couple of people's eyes where they're like, "Oh, I don't know. Am I at the bottom of this? I thought I was at the top. And you know, again, as a as an outside you know consultant, uh, how do you have that conversation? because it's it in the moment, it, it's not what I do. I, I'm, I'm not a operations consultant, but it, it, I was kind of helping them with this, but I saw it and I felt it felt cruel. Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, I think about it, um, and I can always go back to an example. I had a client that we went in. They were going through a major transition uh, for operations and reporting, about a billion-dollar health network. And I ended up being in conversations with people like the Bobs from Office Space. I'm interviewing people. (laughs) I'm going to put some people right below you. You know, you got management material. Anyway, so I'm having a conversation with this guy, and I just ask him flat out, you know, what's your biggest fear? And he's like, I'm going to get fired. That's my biggest fear. I'm going to mm. get fired. And I said, why are you afraid you're going to get fired? He said, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing? No. They want me to do this stuff all the time. And I keep asking questions and nobody can answer my questions. It's mm. like, I'm just so afraid I'm going to get fired. And I said, so you got two choices here. I mean, you can either learn how to do this or find another yep. job. Which would you prefer? And he said, I think I would rather find another job. I mean, if you give people an opportunity to tell you the truth, yeah. a lot of times they'll tell you the truth because they, they, it's so stressful for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I have seen uh, customers push somebody to do a job they're not really yeah. built for. And I've seen those people have nervous breakdowns. I have seen those people collapse under the pressure and there's nothing good about that for that person or for the company or for the overall community. It's bad. Well, Um, and
1: it's, it's so so short sighted because what, what's happening is that person wants to uh, please their boss and their boss wants to keep their, their teammate happy. And so they'll, cruelly keep somebody in the wrong position just to you know be for you both to be happy but then you're not um and uh we we talked about off this call the eos that they have an idea of like get it want it capacity and it's they get it they understand it they want it they are built for it um and they have the capacity like they they have done it before um and that's that's too many places, especially larger organizations. If you're talking, you know, they're they're putting people into positions where, it, like, yeah, yeah, the guy's asking how to do stuff and nobody can answer them. Well, that's that's normal. That and that's unfortunately normal. Right, right.
2: You know what? I I look back to so one of the things we've talked about is around how to create um, how to create an organization that people want to be part of yeah and that people see themselves being part of and you know i think about mass loss hierarchy of needs there's some pieces there that really don't apply to us in america we can talk about you know poverty but you know in america we don't have people starving to death right people have food and for the most part if they want shelter they can have shelter so you know in the corporate world we're really talking about safety And in most cases, it's psychological safety, not physical safety. People Mm -hmm. are not, you know, worried about, you know, getting hurt at work for the most part. It's psychological safety. Do I feel like I know what I'm doing? Do I feel like I'm respected? Mm -hmm. Right. Do I feel like if I make a mistake, you know, a small mistake, I'm going to get fired or yelled at, or, you know, embarrassed. Right. So how do you give people psychological safety? Uh, the other piece is a place to belong. You have a role, you have, um, What you do is important. We need you to do this, to be part of the team, to help us as an organization succeed. And then a future to believe in, something to be part of, a growth area for them. How are they developing skills to become more important to the organization and less disposable? And I think the disposability is probably the biggest factor and fear that came into most of these tech workers. The people who were displaced and the 200,000, they didn't realize they were disposable, Mm. and and maybe they weren't disposable but they were still disposed of so that's that's really the question is how do we it, give people those three things
1: well in 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 that situation so I, I think about um there was this day in the life of a twitter employee right and it's we're um, talking about you know, the
2: babylon b version no <laughs> <laughs> because that um, is hilarious if you guys I, haven't seen that
1: I haven't seen that, but I'm sure it's great. And it's probably not much different than reality, but, but it was like this, uh, you know, I'm going to the M&M fountain and I'm going to get some espresso and maybe I'll do a meeting. And um, then I'm going to do the puppy, whatever, what?
2: Play some ping pong.
1: Play play some ping pong. Exactly. And, uh, and then again, 20% of those people get (laughs) like, and, and you'd say, you know, and, and they're mortified, they're 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 horrified that 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 you know they didn't they weren't cared for, um, and again that's a that's a caricature of, of those people. But um, would you like? They should have known they were disposable. I, I like to me and you like we're like of course like of course you're disposable, right? Uh, but I, I don't know I don't know. What I'm trying to get at, but the I guess uh, is it always on the company for that stuff is, is I guess what I'm trying to say.
2: Is it always on the company for which part would you clarify that a little?
1: Yeah. The, that the, that there, the, the three points that you're making, that there's a future to look to that. Uh, um, now. I forget what the other two points were. So
2: um, safety, a place to yes, belong, it, and a future yes. to believe in. Yes, there you um, go. So I think those are the key tenets of leadership, right? So that's, that's not it. at a company level. That's, I think that's at a manager level. Mm. And, and if you can't offer somebody those things, then you need to be reconsidering if you need that person. So yeah. like you should be able, anybody that you need, you should be able to offer them those three things. If you cannot offer them those three things, then you should be considering, do I really need this person? Are they long-term part of our team? Should I be encouraging them to look for a job elsewhere?
1: Hmm. Uh, you know. How, so, well and on that note um the future to believe in you think about you know you if you have a smaller team you know 20 30 people whatever uh, there may be a head of operations and i may be below that in, in in some form and the head of operations you know that that guy or girl they're going to be there for 10 more years and so i don't have an opportunity to move forward or, or you just think about some of the other positions like that. How do you give that person a future to believe in or is the future to believe in somewhere else?
2: So I, I think it's both. Uh, but the reality is if you look at technology, technology is always moving and changing and mm-hmm. growing. Uh, and I think, uh, I think about a conversation I had with a guy 15 or 20 years ago about Pentaho. Uh, He was a SQL DBA and he was pretty excited about Pentaho. His company was using SQL and he'd brought Pentaho in as a, as a product offering uh, and it was adding a lot of value, but the leadership team didn't want to, they just didn't buy into it. They're like, we like being safe with Microsoft. It's good. Mm -hmm. And he was real passionate about that. And he asked me if he should continue down the SQL path. And i said, Jeff, you're pretty excited about this product. What if you become the global expert in that? he's hmm. like, what? I'm like, there's nobody out there. Yeah. It's brand new product. There's nothing to stop you from becoming the global expert in this product. So if you stay put or leave, you could be the global expert in this product probably, what, three years, five years? And it was a complete eye-opening experience for him. So I, I think the reality is if you've got an operations manager you report to in one area, there's always the opportunity to make the pie bigger. It doesn't mean, yep. I mean that guy's going to be focused on what he's doing, and there's going to be an ancillary product, a new offering, a new area of expertise that somebody could step into.
1: Um, I, I was hoping can
2: be an expert in.
1: I was hoping in your story about Jeff that you you were going to end with, and that man was Jeff Bezos, or something, no. something like that. Okay, <laughs> um, he, <laughs>
2: oh. he he is a global architect at Google today, and that's um, awesome. He's increased his base compensation by seven hundred percent. Wow, so, wow. um he, he it worked okay yeah, yeah. He, it, it worked out okay it's a great and it is a great yeah. story uh, and certainly one of those people in my in my life that I'm I'm, I'm very proud to know to see yeah. somebody take the bull by the horns but the opportunities are consistently out there um, mm-hmm. there's specialization is important and, but it's also scary right you could go down a path it is possible you could go down a path to become a global expert in a tool and then that tool disappears the company goes bankrupt yeah it, it it could happen, but that doesn't mean it was a wasted experience.
1: One hundred percent, it is the the experiences it takes to become an expert are not lost. Like they are not gone. The tool may be be gone, but the experiences are not. And yeah, that I mean, I was talking to somebody about this the other day that people reinvent themselves all all the time. And it's you think about it takes you ten years to get to this point. Well, the next time you reinvent yourself or whatever, maybe it takes five years because you, all the stupid crap you did to get there the the, first in 10 years. Well, you're shortcutted because you got all of those experiences. You, you accept things that you wouldn't have accepted. Then you don't make the Um, same
2: mistakes. Like if if you made a mistake in one industry, you're not going to make that same mistake in another industry because a different industry, you realize it's the same mistake. You're not going to make that again.
1: Yeah. And, and you also have a network of people again, bringing it back to community, that you did not have, you know, back then. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Smart people around you that you can bounce no. ideas off of and say, hey, is this completely stupid? Am I? What am I missing? Yeah. And well, that is the favorite part of my, this level, this level and state of my career is that I have a lot of people I can pick up the phone with and say, "Yeah, what am I missing? Like, here's what I'm thinking. What am I missing? Like, how am I wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the question. I think too many people look for confirmation bias. My experience in life yep. and in business is that people don't ask somebody, what am I missing? How am I wrong? They say, how right am I? Look, mm-hmm. am I smart? I'm so smart. Look how smart I am. Um,
1: or or you say you're, you're right. wrong and they say, well, for me, this is actually right because of X, Y, Z. And you're like, man, okay. <laughs> Sounds Go like you've
2: had, that, you've had that experience.
1: <laughs> I've, I've been on both sides of that. so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it going back to opportunity and, and that kind of thing. I, I think a lot about that too, where when I've had team members that create opportunity, that, that really that's me kind of being a lazy leader. If I look at, uh, you know, you've got Bob, that's the operations, whatever, or the senior project manager or whatever, and they're capping everybody else from uh, moving forward one that as a leader that that's me being lazy that's me not thinking bigger uh of of growing and and uh bringing my uh solution to the market more and more um but you also have that these people they're not necessarily a victim they should not be a victim to that how can they help create a new position uh create like you're saying create another, another department that they could they could be ahead of um there's, there's always opportunity. And, and I mean, you might be in a company that caps that or squashes that um, then you're probably just not in the right company.
2: Well, and I think there's a lot of opportunity just demographically in the market today. So you look in the tech space, uh, the average age of a tech worker in America is in the low fifties, 51, 53, depending on Hmm. what reports you look at. So people say, Oh, okay. Well, wait a second. What does that actually mean? Well, I'm going to tell you what it means in the next 10 years, if that's the average age of a tech worker, that means that yeah. like 50% average means about half, right? Or maybe median versus average, but generally median and average are pretty close numbers. They're not mm-hmm. too far apart. So that says somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% of the tech workers in America are going to retire in the next if it's 52, then 13 years. 50% are going to retire in the next 13 years. Wow. That's a huge, huge opportunity. And those jobs are going to be filled by... Um, other people, or are they going to be filled by automation? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a combination of both, just like uh, truck drivers. I mean, how many truck drivers are there going to be in 20 years? Today, yeah. there's, I think, 10 million. Hmm. Uh, it's a lot. So in 20 years, uh, we can all look out and say, probably not going to be as many truck drivers. We're definitely heading towards autonomous driving yeah. and autonomous vehicles. And I don't know when it happens, if it's two years from now, five years from now, or 20 years from now, but I don't think anybody questions if it's going to happen. It's a win.
1: It will, yeah, it will happen.
2: So as we look at our own careers, it's how do we, how do we address uh, automation and value creation? Um, if we're doing something that's tactical and can be automated, then we've got to be thinking about what we can do that's valuable, strategic, and engaging and how we can create automation, how we can be always creating new automation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do wonder how much the um, chat GTP and the perception of this automation of uh, capacity. I don't know if you've played around with it at all, but oh, there's, yeah. there's a way if, uh, if you start looking at the code it's creating, asking it to create code to accomplish a task, and it'll cut that code out really fast. I mean, the reality is a lot of these organizations could be looking at their structures and saying, hey, if AI is here, we yeah. need to start planning for that automation. And if we cut our staff, then we're going to force our staff to create higher productivity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've I played with that a lot and I, I don't know. Th- this is just me kind of guessing, but I, I saw this meme that was really good and it was basically two guys taking a test and one kind of looking at the other's paper. And the, the one over here was chat GPT, the, the one uh, that he was cheating off of said the internet, uh, the entire internet. And because basically, the, the, this tool, these tools are borrowing from books, er, things that people have created, right? Right. Web pages, news stories, all that. And um I think that at some point, there's going to have to be a reckoning of of that. Like, you you can't have millions or trillions of pages that people have created, and now it's just I'm going to take all that, and now I'm gonna, and I'm going to package this so that. You know, c- cutting the all of you, all of you out that created that stuff. Um, well, is there think... going to be
2: any new creation again? So, is the new is is really is Chat D- GTP, um a rehashing of everything that's already been said, and in, and it's just rehashing? Yeah. it. So, is it new if it's rehashing it? So, at the end of the day, there's it's it's taking stuff that's already been created mm-hmm. and duplicating it in a way that has not existed previously, but the end of the day, if there's no more creation, then it's a life of imitation. Was that? It's one of my favorite Red Hot Chili <laughs> Pepper songs. There you go. Don't live <laughs> a life of imitation. Yeah, right. And that's just a life of imitation. There's no more creativity.
1: Well, it it I think for now it raises the bar for good content. Um, and I mean, even on LinkedIn, I I can spot a GPT written post um, very easily because there's a, there's a structure to it. Again, now there won't be in a year or two, but um, I just, I think it's like, yes, we're, we're embracing these tools and we should embrace these tools. And I think it, it can become a big part of what we do. And there, I mean, it is incredible. You talk about code again, I've had it write code and just amazing. Um, But I I just wonder if there's going to be legislation at some point that says, no, this this is not okay, and and we kind of get used to these tools, and then t- you know go back five years, and and uh, some of those skills are have to be relearned um, while they really work out how this stuff plays a, a role in our society.
2: You know what, this is the same as the cotton gin, you know, yeah. a couple hundred years ago. Like, we had people pulling seeds out of cotton by hand, and now we're throwing it into the cotton gin, it's running it through, and it's coming out the other side. Um, Every time we can create uh, something that drives productivity, we're increasing people's standard of living. Um, In the short term, there's going to be transition, there's going to be pain, but we're increasing people's standard of living. The goal is to continue to find ways to add value and to utilize this new uh, tool in our hands uh, to move forward even faster and increase everybody's quality of life through this opportunity. Um, Now, one of the things you did, you and I were talking about before we got on this was um, kind of competition and how to Mm work with Mm -hmm. competition. What was the question that you had around competition, Brian?
1: Yeah, so... I've just always found this interesting. Somebody said this to me a long time ago and, and it stuck. And it was this idea that you can have competition or you can have community. And in that, and that just kind of reshaped my thinking. So when I looked at, I had a marketing company, when I looked at other marketing companies, I was like, like, you know, we're going to bury them. We're going to get their customers. Um, and then I realized there there's so much business out there. Like most of the stuff we the people we talk to, they're not, they don't even know who these other companies are. And once I embraced that, you know, we started learning from each other and it really helped me grow.
2: Yeah. It's uh, I think one of the biggest things we have we've done in the last few years. Um, you know, I started inside of a franchise organization when I first got into this business, mm-hmm. uh, we rejoined a franchise organization back in 2020 and the relationships with other business owners who are, have different practices. You know, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Dan Toussaint, who specializes in the audit world. All he does is work with partners at um, CPA firms that do audit and just conversations that I've had with him in the last few months, uh, things they're doing, problems he's facing. And I'm like, oh, I had that. I had that problem. Here's what we did. Right. And and then he tells me about something he's doing. I'm like, I actually have that problem. And I was so busy, I hadn't even thought about how I'm going to address it yet. So tell me more. Uh, so there's the there's competition, co but I think what really comes down to is the abundance mindset mm-hmm. versus the scarcity mindset. And yeah. what you mentioned is an abundance mindset. There's plenty of customers. There's so many people to, to to provide services for, and the reality is that you know the best part of being an entrepreneur for me is that I get to work with people that I truly like. And when we've had clients become people that we don't like anymore because somebody new takes over, you know, we can say, Hey, doesn't work for us. Like this isn't how we want to do business. We don't, this isn't fun for us. And if you want to do it this way, that's great. And if you don't, Mm good luck. Like we're going to go work with people that are fun. We want to work with people that want us to help them um, and want to be very honest and open in communications and, And then again, you know, you were asking earlier in the conversation, how do we have that conversation with people? Well, it's a habit, right? We've Mm -hmm. created a habit of that. And we do some softeners. Hey, can I have a conversation with you that might be difficult? Yeah. I've got something I want to bring up that you might not want to hear, but I think it's important for me to share it with you. Um, And I'd love your feedback. And if this is something that's been on your mind. So we had some softeners. I don't just come in and be like, I'm not sure this person who's your director is the right person for the job, (laughs) right? You need to fire them. We don't say that. (laughs) We but we we do start asking them questions and hey, what what's your vision? If you hit this vision, do you see that person in this role? What kind of skills and experience do they need to be able to lead that team? And you know, how are they going to get from point A to point B? Are you going to send them to training? Are you going to manage them? Are you going to train them? Are you going to coach them through this? Is there anybody in your organization that can do it? Uh, yeah. And then eventually they kind of come to their own expectation. around. Those. Yeah. that.
1: Uh, this is just a side note that that is so true that like everything you just said, you said I could go tell them or I could ask them questions and asking questions is a superpower. Uh, getting them to come up with the, the conclusion is, is a superpower.
2: You can't tell anybody anything.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I learned that from uh, yeah.
2: 25 years of marriage. It's, <laughs> it's totally impossible. <laughs> I, I remember I uh, and actually, my wife had a pretty big car accident a few years ago. Mm. And we have all these roundabouts in Carmel. It's, it's, I don't know if you guys are seeing roundabouts where you are, but roundabout, yeah, we have, we, we're we, like the, we the capital of the world. I think we have 200 roundabouts. And my wife would go into roundabouts and she would break in roundabouts. I'm like, no, no, you have to break before the turn and then Mm -hmm. have your foot on the gas so you can create acceleration because acceleration creates traction, right? When you're in the turn. And then, you know, I mean, we had this conversation for eight years and I thought maybe she was paying attention to me. And then all of a sudden (laughs) we had our first snow one year and she went straight into the concrete, ripped the front Mm. wheel off the car, broke the transaxle. It was about $12,000 worth of damage at 30 miles Mm. an hour. And I was like, did you not hit the gas? And she's like, what? No, I hit the brake. And I'm like, Oh, and she's like, is that what you were talking about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. Yes. I'm glad you're safe, but yeah, that yeah. Was, um, I'm glad you're not hurt. But yeah, that was what I was talking about.
1: Uh, it's not the time to gloat, right?
2: Yeah. So maybe, um, maybe when we get past this, we can yeah. Yeah, maybe go out and we could try this again and it could kind of show you what I was talking about.
1: It, it's so true though. It, I, my wife, has this joke that's a joke um where she's like she'll tell me something and she'll say in business i think this or i think this person isn't isn't good or, or whatever and then i've got this business coach that i've been meeting with for 10 11 years and he would say it and i would i'd come to her and I'd be like you know she, he told me that brandon wasn't a good fit and he's exactly right and and she'd be like i i've been saying that for six months and, it, and i realized this just recently really that she would tell me he asks me and and i would come to that conclusion but then i'm like he told me but i'm re- but i realized like no he actually tr- he did some voodoo and tricked me into thinking the thing that he wanted me to think yeah yeah, yeah. it's a superpower it-
2: you know like i said it you can't tell anybody anything yeah. they have to come to they have to come to terms yep. with it on their own and, they, uh, and and that's all of our personal experience right it's not yeah. that i'm talking down anybody i am uh, just as you mentioned right uh, all the 100% the same thing happens to me somebody can tell me something and i'll be like mm, i don't know about that right <laughs> and then yeah, if cool. i come to it on my own i'm like why didn't i see this earlier
1: yeah
2: so yeah. It, it's just a it's 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 human nature
1: yeah well, I, I think uh, going back to business community and we'll, we'll wrap up here, but um, I think that just the, the, all the stuff we're talking about, you know, looking at your team as community, looking at the contractors as community, looking at your competition as community li- life is not a storybook where, you know, you have a problem, you have a resolution, and then we all live happily ever after. It's, it is, 50 of those a year where you have a problem, you have a solution. You have another problem, you have a solution. And some of the best partnerships are, uh, I've got one guy that I'm, I'm working with that I had hired. He quit on great terms. We kept the relationship. He started his own company. And and uh, I mean, to be honest, there's a few, you know, deep within me. I'm like, he's starting his own company. Like hes I taught him that, but I got over that stuff really quickly and he has become a great referral partner. Uh, we have a great friendship and it, it's just, things have evolved and and me allowing them to evolve and and keep that community alive has, has got me a, a great partner.
2: I think the other thing you mentioned is around, uh, problem solving. The reality mm-hmm. is, um, everything we do in life is around problem solving and you get paid more when you can solve more problems yeah. more effectively and more efficiently. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I've, I've learned over the last probably 10 years is that to rapidly admit when I'm wrong, you know, we all make mistakes. And I think from um, a business perspective, you never want to say that you made a mistake. You, you don't want to step up immediately and admit to it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've just gotten to the point that I, time that I've missed something, I just immediately say, yep, I missed that. That is a hundred percent my fault. What yeah. do you want me to, how can I make it? How can I make it right? What do you want me to do about it? And I will say that my relationships with my clients are better now yeah. that I've, I've just come out and say, you're totally right. I, I didn't I didn't realize that. That is my mistake. How can I fix it? Then yeah. that's not a problem. And then the same thing even with uh, consultants. Uh, we had uh, um, you know, I had something going on with the consultant. He didn't get paid right. Um, you know, something happened with his bank transaction and, and the money didn't hit and and he sent me a message and I, and I said, Hey, you should have been paid right now. Like, give me an hour. I will get back to you. Stop what I was mm-hmm. doing, checked into it and let him know what happened and then said, Hey, I'm going to get you. Know, thank you for bringing this to my attention. This is completely my fault. I overlooked something and you will get paid tomorrow. And mm-hmm. the most important thing to this guy was that I took it seriously and I responded quickly and yeah. came to a resolution. It wasn't that I made a mistake or you know, the, the mistake wasn't the issue; it was how quickly I responded. Yeah. And this guy has—we um, have four more consultants on staff now from him. So I made a mistake, mm-hmm. but how quickly I responded. Now he's like, "Hey, work with this guy. He's really a good guy. He's yeah. genuine. He cares about you. You know, he's looking out for your best interest." And that was yeah. all—it's all based on a mistake. The guys where I've made no mistakes—they come and go, right? They come in, mm-hmm. they leave, you know. But the guys where I've made mistakes and 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 made it right those guys have actually more loyal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And, and I've, I've had team members, you you haven't probably, but I've had team members where you you give them feedback and they're they're like, Oh, that's because of this. And I didn't know. And uh, I, you know, all these excuses and and you get to a point where you don't even want to give them the feedback. Like you're giving them the the feedback because you want them to be better uh, to grow in their career. And, like that that's so valuable for them to get and, and be able to improve um, but there's some of those you just get to a point where you're just like I don't even want to tell that person because it it's because of something right
2: there's an excuse you know what yeah. I, I, I will tell you this is a, kind of a rule that I've created inside my my head is that the first time one of my staff talks to me in terms of their goals mm-hmm. and says that I want to do that I know I'm going to fire. As soon as they say the words, I want to do that. Hmm. Because if you want to do that, you're not doing it. Mm. You just want to do it. Yeah. So the difference is I'll be on the phone with another one of my staff and we'll talk about their goals. And then they'll tell me, here's what I'm going to do to hit that goal. I'm not going to you know, – I've given up social media. I'm not watching – you know, any, you know, any TV, I'm going to do this much reading every night. I'm going to plan in advance. I'm going to have yeah. an execution plan for the next day with a minimum of 50 planned phone calls. And I'm going to write my email the night before that I'm going to get out to people and I'm going to make sure I hit 80 to a hundred contacts a day. That's how I'm going to hit this goal. Because if I hit that, then yeah. I'm going to do this, which is going to lead to this. That person That's hits their very... goals. The person who says, I want to do that. Yeah. It's just a matter of time before I fire them.
1: Yeah, Dave Ramsey has a story where he says uh, he met a guy in the break room. And he said, "I'm going to triple my my sales next next quarter." And he said, "Well, show me your show me your card." And he showed him. He said, "No, you're not." <laughs> he said, no, you're not. It's like, well, what do you what do you mean? And and kind of walked him through. Well, this is what you did to to get where you were at. You're showing me that you're going to double it, but then you're saying you're going to triple. And yeah, it's. I mean. The execution is everything. Wanting is, is is nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what we need to wrap up here. Um, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we fit in here? Uh, you
2: know, we the the only thing is I, I look at the immense opportunity that's out there for people yeah. who will take initiative, look for creative ways to solve problems, and look for opportunities to create value through automation. Um, every mm. company is looking for that. And if you're inside of a company or starting a company or offering a service, if you focus your service on creating value, there there will be a place for you. There's always mm. a place for somebody who's creating value. Um, just billing for service on a daily basis, right? That's always at risk. You've got to be looking for ways to create value for your customers. And um, Yeah. And if anybody ever finds me not in a position that I'm doing that, I hope they come hit me in the back of the head.
1: (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've got a lot of companies out there that might be able to use your services. What, uh, can you do like a little pitch?
2: Yeah, so our core services around uh, delivering enterprise applications and enterprise application integration. So we mm-hmm. do everything from redesigning a department uh, that's running SAP to somebody who's doing a major ERP integration. Right now, one of our customers is uh, we're working with 1.3 billion transactions daily. So we're integrating wow. between multiple uh, database um Database and reporting platforms. Uh, there's actually six different database and reporting platforms where we designed the capacity to get as close to real-time data availability as possible across 1.3 billion transactions daily. Uh, so it's 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 pretty fun problems we're solving. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the technical problems are the, the small part of that, right? It's the people problems, yeah. the engagement and the trust. Uh, the, those are the those are the bigger problems. No matter what the technical problems are, it's always the people problems and the trust, uh, and building trust among the teams that enables or um, prevents you from being mm. able to achieve those goals.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, Keith, I, I've appreciated it. this. has been a great conversation, and um, we're going to make some great clips out of this. And uh, appreciate your time.
2: Well, at some point in the future, I'm going to create my own podcast, and I'm having yeah. you
1: on there. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. it's <laughs> well, good. Thanks for everybody listening, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, Brian. I'll see you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Equip Podcast. Do me a favor. Go to Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom, give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. Better yet, share this with someone that you think it would add value to. And if you think you would be a good guest on the Equipped Podcast, shoot me an email at lane at goprospect.com. That's L-A-N-E at G-O-P-R-O-S-P-E-X.com. Until next time, see you guys.